I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. All right, it is time to dive into what will at least up to this point be the most controversial martyr. And I'm not even kidding, because depending on who you ask depends on how you view this martyr. So we are taking a break from our jaunt through the English killing everybody to look at the Swiss killing some people. Yay! Go team! woo No, 16th century Switzerland. I will not bore you with the hours and hours it would require to explain to you how Switzerland gets to where it gets to, but... In the 16th century, it is basically situated amongst powerful city-states, so called cantons. You can think of them as ruling districts. They have cast off part of the Habsburg Empire, and because they are renowned for their mercenary endeavors, meaning they will let you pay them to kill your enemies— most of Europe allows Switzerland throughout this period to remain neutral because pretty much every— European army needs the Swiss mercenaries to, to fill out its ranks. So it's a big deal that the Swiss stay neutral so that you can't stop the flow of mercenaries that I need to keep my army going. So don't you love the world? Isn't it just a lovely, weird place? So with that, you have a lot of adjustment and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anti-establishment thinking coming through in the world. Now remember, we're in the 16th century. There is reform within the church accelerating pretty much everywhere. So Thomas Cranmer is at work in England. Martin Luther is at work in Germany. You want to talk about a great name? Jacques Lefebvre d'Etaple in France. And I have no idea if I said that man's name correct or not. It's Jacques Lefebvre d'Etaples, if you want to say it in English. So since you swallow every syllable in French, détaple is probably not even enough, you know, for pronunciations there. So in other words, <laughs> there are people sprouting up everywhere all over the place. And what's interesting is some of them are seeking to work outside the church. So you'll have Cranmer splitting the Church of England away from Roman Catholicism. You will have Luther attempting to work within the structures of the church and eventually splitting away. You will have Desiderius Erasmus traveling all over Europe, who will forever be trying to reform the church, but will never be willing to depart from the church. And then you have guys like Zwingli, who are, like, they're out right off the bat. Now, this is my favorite thing. Okay, because this is the um, this is the most Middle Ages European thing ever. The great controversy that leads to the kicking off of the Protestant Reformation in Switzerland is known as you ready for this? The affair of the sausages. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. All right, it's fifteen twenty two. We're gonna get to that in just a second. So let's get to Zwingli himself real quick. He's born in eight, uh, 1484. He is a humanist student. He is influenced by Erasmus, but he is also a great student of Augustine. And remember, 
in your world today, humanism is evil because humanism is secular. It is concerned only with materialistic philosophy. In the Middle Ages, humanism was the bee's knees. It was not a secular philosophy. It was a rebirth of the study of human work. It was a rediscovery of Greek and Hebrew and of Latin and of the ancient philosophies. It was a spreading and growth of the theology of Augustine, of the understandings of who Jerome actually was beyond just the writing of the Vulgate, of the commentaries and the work of the church fathers, not just as they're taught in history class, but as it's taught from their own hand in their own writing. Humanism gives birth to all the good things about the human mind, and its secularization gives birth to all the evil things of the human mind. Again, the human mind is an amazing thing. Human beings are amazing creatures created by God and can do amazing and are capable of incredible things. However, when our capacity to create and reason and think and do all of those things is detached and um, unmoored from the anchor that is God and his declarations of who we are and our knowledge of him, then it becomes a quagmire of epic proportions. So whenever you hear humanists for these guys in the Middle Ages, don't freak out. That's a good thing. So in 1519, he becomes the priest in Zurich, and he is stationed to the Grossmünster. Now, I'm sure I'm not saying that exactly correct with the German pronunciation, but it is literally the Great Minster, and I encourage you to go look up pictures of Grossmünster. It is an awesome, cool church to look at, and what's really cool about it is that Zwingli and his successor, um, uh, Heinrich Bullinger, were iconoclasts. No statues, no murals, no paintings, no artwork. It's it's a little austere, <laughs> to put it mildly. But the building is so massive. It was built in 1100. I mean, this is Grand Cathedral. But you're so used to seeing these Grand Cathedrals with all this artwork and th different things and woodwork, and it's just not there. And it's just it's kind of a bit of a whiplash in your brain, but at the same time, it's really, really cool. So... In his work in 1519, he forsakes the traditional uh, structure of the Mass and begins following humanistic uh, an Erasmian process, where he takes Erasmus's New Testament, and Erasmus had just published an edition of the Greek New Testament, and he begins to just read through it. And as he's reading through, starting with the Gospel of Matthew, he's pausing and commenting on it. This is the birth of exegetical preaching, you know, verse-by-verse verse expository preaching. So... As he's doing this, he's making commentary, he's pushing for the morality of Scripture, for the teachings of Scripture, for the application into lives, and he does this with Matthew, and he does this with Acts, and he begins to formulate a biblical theology in this manner. And he'd been doing this, really, since, I believe, 1516. Now, in 1522, there is a Protestant breakaway group that is accused of some wrongdoing. Why? Because they had made, prepared, and entered into a feast that was centered around sausages. They had a sausage feast. Insert your own jokes there. The problem was this was during Lent. And in Roman Catholic theology, you do not eat meat during Lent. Fish is not meat. Don't ask me why that distinction is there. There's a really good reason for it, and I'm not going to take the time to go into it. So 
you know, you have to think of like chicken, pork, red meat. That's meat. Fish is not meat. So you don't eat meat during Lent. Well, these guys were eating sausages, and Zwingli actually writes a book in their defense centering upon Scripture. The non-demands of the New Testament on food restrictions, the ability to celebrate or not celebrate depending on the conscience. This is a big deal in kind of the kicking off of the Reformation in Switzerland. So several of the cantons become Protestant, several of the cantons remain Catholic. You get the Wars of Capel as a result of this, which is literally religious warfare. Now, Zwingli's uh, doctrines. You can go look them up himself. He literally wrote them down, wrote Confessions of Faith, Faith had debates with Luther, had arguments with uh, von Eck, who was the debater against Luther in many cases, had correspondence with Erasmus. He's an interesting guy. Um, champion of biblical centrality. That's the exegetical preaching. This was going to be a hallmark of the Protestant Reformation, the movement away from the mass, the the sacrificial work of Christ in the in the communion, which we're going to get to in a second, and replacing that with the centrality of the preaching of the word, with the apostolic faith. He's a champion of covenantal theology, even holding to infant baptism as a replacement of circumcision. While I would disagree with him on that, I appreciate the understanding of the covenantal aspect of Christianity in the not abandoning the Old Testament just because we have a New Testament. And then the memorial view of communion. So this differentiates from Luther's real presence, which would be termed as consubstantiation, and it definitely differs from the Roman Catholic understanding of transubstantiation. So in transubstantiation, the priest's doing his little voodoo that he do, he is doing that because he is calling down the body and blood of Christ to inhabit the wafer and the wine. So there is a re-sacrificing, a bloodless sacrifice of Christ every time the Mass is held. Zwingli's answer, because of his biblical centrality, says no. Christ offered a sacrifice once for all. This is a memorial, a remembrance of that sacrifice, and a memorial of the kingdom is a reminder that we are awaiting final fulfillment. So, again, I like this. So, why is Zwingli a martyr? Well, it depends on who you ask, because I think he's a martyr because he basically dies for Protestantism. How does he die, though? In battle. Or, if you want to, in battle! So, the Catholic cantons end up declaring war in the Second Wars of Capel and invade Zurich, the small army of, um, what, is, what are people from Zurich called? Zurichians? <laughs> I don't know. The people of Zurich march out. They are outnumbered two to one, which in ancient warfare is really, really not good. It's okay if you're doing like defense under siege. You can actually hold up if you're outnumbered two to one. But in open field combat, being outnumbered two to one is really, really bad. So they basically get wiped out. There are actually not a lot of casualties, despite the fact that 3,500 people are in battle. But amongst the casualties is Zwingli. According to tradition, and again, you know, take this with a grain of salt always, Zwingli was mortally wounded and was actually finally killed when the priest attempted to perform the last rites and he was cursed and driven away by the dying Zwingli. So one of the other Catholics saw this going on, the, one of the soldiers, and came over and in his rage killed him directly. Now, battle maybe you're a martyr, maybe you're not. I kind of like it. If nothing else, it's an opportunity to talk about quickly the Reformation in Switzerland. So why do we care about this? 
so that we can have bravery in battle? No, 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 no. We care because notice how the doctrines of the Reformation are cropping up in so many places all at the same time. That's because God has always been at work and has never lost the truth with his people. His people have never been forgotten and never been forsaken. And the strength of God that sends the Reformation in England, in Germany, in France, in Switzerland, even has guys like Savonarola who we've talked about in Italy. You have all of these things going on because God is constantly at work, and he is strengthening his people and preparing them and fitting them for his eternal kingdom. Take heart, Christian. His work is not done. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.